Canuck Central Post Game Show. Patterson down the boards for Hughes. Into the slot. Kuzmenko waits. Shoots. Andre Kuzmenko gripped it and ripped it from the high slot. It's 3-1 Canucks. Besser, bottom of the right circle. Back to Patterson. High slot. Waits. Shoots. Scores! Instant reaction from the players and coaches. Besser. To the line for Cole. Long range. One-timer. Tip. They score. Phil D. Giuseppe with the deflection at the top of the crease. On the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks pick up their first win of the preseason, defeating the Edmonton Oilers 5-2 on home ice. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Pick Nazar. We are going to bring in Randy Janda, color voice, right here on Sportsnet 650. Into the conversation in just a moment's time. Get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. A lot of good, a lot of positives for this first W of the preseason for the Vancouver Canucks. Quinn Hughes, the team's first star in tonight. Two goals and an assist. Brock Besser had four apples on the night. And the third star making Dan Riccio's heart flutter all the way from here across Falls Creek. Field of Giuseppe. A goal and two assists. A, th- a three-point performance. And Batch has created a new call. It sounds like Super oh Mario boy. Brothers. That's where we're at. All right. Uh, you know, let's... it's not even just about Reach. We should all be Phil DiGiuseppe fans at this point. Hey. I know I know. Reach is like the Max Verstappen of it. He's laughing us all. Yes. But we should all be in second place here. It's true. I had a good game. Hey, I co-signed that a couple of days ago on the pregame show. I, right. I was all for it. I said Reach grabbed the jersey, but great game from him tonight. Great game. Fantastic game from him. And... You know, one of the storylines heading into the game, or at least the past few days, was Quinn Hughes and improving his shot and really wanted to take a bigger role in scoring goals this year. Well, there was a time when he had the first two goals of this game that he had scored 100% of the Canucks' preseason goals up until that point, had the first three goals they've scored, and obviously the Canucks scored three more goals in this game. But what else can we say about Quinn Hughes, the team's captain? There's no hesitation in the shot. Maybe like last year, the year before, he'd kind of think about it. Yeah. He was hesitant. Now it's he's looking for that shot. And, you know, one of the things Quinn talked about in the lead up to this year was, I want to be more aggressive. I want to attack the middle. And you're seeing that mm-hmm. on a consistent basis, guys. Today, like that slap shot on the power play, the shot from the point, or the wrist shot, it's happening very frequently. But that backhand goal, sure, Skinner makes a bit of a mess of it. It goes off the post off of him. But getting that shot off, finding that space, and going from left to right to create that shot, man, it's so seamless for this guy. That skating is so elite that he just creates that room out of nothing. So, you know, looking at that power play now, you've got shooters everywhere. If Quinn Hughes can be more consistent with that shot, and they're a lot more mobile, as we've seen in the preseason when they're playing together, and that's been a goal of theirs saying for the last couple years, but we're starting to see it now, guys. That's going to be a really interesting power play to watch if Quinn continues to play this way and gets that shot off. The five-on-five going downhill in the offensive zone. Again, it's preseason. you got more room to operate against some players that maybe won't be in the lineup come opening night. But that's what I've been wanting to see from Quinn Hughes, that there's a little bit more power in his stride. Look, he's already a fantastic skater. But if he he clocks up a little, uh, another gear... That's an exciting uh, advantage for Queen Hughes because he can already create the angles laterally. laterally. If he can now explode vertically, 
that's going to be a lot of fun. Because he did it a lot in the first period. You're like, all right, this is something interesting. And then to get the goal off of it. Uh, and, and this is something we know Quinn Hughes. Remember last year when he scored the goal, was it game 42, game yeah. 46? Yep. And you could just see, like, the he barely even celebrated. He knew he should have more at this stage. If he's going to start scoring goals... That's exciting. What well, adds a whole other element to the threat he can provide, and especially on the power play, because mm-hmm. now you have your point guy not only being able to score, but to the point Bick made. You're going downhill, you're attacking, you're taking guys on. If you beat a guy, you're creating more space. It becomes such a dangerous threat. Because we talk about, like, you know, scoring is going to be a bit of a concern for me, because Bo Horvat goes out, sure. how the goal is going to get replaced, and just in general. If they play more defensively, you can make up the gap. But there is a concern that, hey, what if they're a team that scores 240, 245 goals? Mm-hmm. And you try to project all the forwards, like, all right. And we sat here and said, well, Quinn Hughes, you know, seven, eight goals. Well, if that's 14, 15, okay, there's seven more goals you're talking about. What does that open up now for forwards? Because now you got to focus on Quinn Hughes. If he's a guy that's going to hit double digits for the first time in his career, that's going to open up for a lot of people, too. Totally. And we saw that on the Kuzmenko goal, right, where mm-hmm. he's moving around. He's on the right half mm-hmm. wall. And that's why I keep on going back to the power play because I think the the – success that they could have there with having all those interchangeable parts where uh, if a PK, you're wondering, okay, what do I do here? If all these guys can shoot, and if all of them are willing to go forward and be aggressive, who are you taking? And on, I know this is not Edmonton's first PK unit mm-hmm. that's playing tonight, but on both the Kuzmenko and Pedersen goals, they're playing pretty passive because they're not sure where it's going to go. They essentially give the shot, and that's something that I look at Quinn Hughes when he makes that pass to Kuzmenko. You're saying, alright, if he's moving around, if he's being aggressive, if he's a shot option himself, wherever on the ice, you're going to have a lot more space for guys like Kuzmenko and JT Miller and Elias Pettersson and down low with Brock Besser. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned Brock Besser. Four assists here on the evening. And I'd say even in addition to that, just how he played five-on-five with PDG and JT Miller, who was strong along the walls. And having the four assists, of course, is huge. But there was a play that he made on Quinn Hughes' second goal, it's first goal. First goal, yeah, you're right. The first goal. Um, I'm already getting confused with all the Quinn Hughes. There's so many goals. Well, and, and the pass is it's a it's a it's more of a east west pass, yeah. like slightly with a bit of an angle going out. But he hits PDG blowing out of his zone uh, at the far wall, at the near wall, and he's at the far wall. And it's not so much that he wins the battle; it's that he gets the puck, he has a head on a swivel, and right away recognizes where PDG is, and right away makes the pass. And one of the things that we heard talk and speak about, and what they talk about so much is. Get, hit your outlets quickly off the wall because it can create opportunities going the other way. You could have chances for two-on-ones, and that's exactly what happened. And it shows the importance of not only winning the puck and being available for it, but how quickly you have to make that decision and hit one of your exiting forwards or defensemen coming out of the zone. And that's what allowed that play to yeah. happen. You know that goal, and I, that, that was the key moment on that goal. It reminded me of those 2015-2016 Pittsburgh Penguins where mm. a winger in his own zone makes a quick process of play so quickly that they're moving the puck up the ice. It's not always on the defenseman to do that. Where Whether it was you know Phil Kessel on the ice or Gino Malkin or Carl Hagelin, go through it. Yeah. They all play that way with their heads up, and they're making that play immediately. And to Brock Besser to make that pass, and then PDG, you know, it's a tough pass to make. He makes it. Quinn Hughes does a great job to bat it out of the air. But what makes that goal is Brock Besser head up, processing that play really, really quickly. And that type of play gives you hope for the Canucks where you're saying, wait a second. If they can play like this consistently throughout their lineup, sure, the goals are going to come from your top six. Mm-hmm. But if you, you know, when Rutherford and Alvin said a couple of years ago, every player needs to know, you know, where their teammate is or the what, you know, what play their teammate's going to make. That's a goal right there where 
he wins that battle, and his head is up, and he's looking for guys to to you know carry out that play in transition. That was a heck of a pass, heck of a play. It's a short pass. Sometimes making the short passes creates more speed coming out of your yep. zone, and that was exactly what happened on that play. And to the point you made, less pressure on the defenseman to make longer passes. Guys are available, and, and oftentimes we'd see in different systems where the winger would kind of be on the blue line or just past the blue line yep. in the neutral zone. It just creates so much more space and separation, right? The winger is like at least four or five feet inside the blue line in his own zone and will come down even deeper to get the puck. And that's how you're available. And just because you're going deeper doesn't mean you don't create other opportunities. Because as you see, you get a transition. And now, had that chance not happened, Brock's the trailer coming down. Yep. So that's how you create more offense going out the other way, even if you are starting deeper in your own zone before you break out. And that was what something uh, that they, they didn't do in the first 20 minutes, right? Like if you look at the trouble that they had moving the puck out of the zone, Second period, you can see the forwards dropping back a little bit more, providing a little bit more help, providing options. And, guys, <laughs> it translated in the second period. First period, it was it was a bit rough to watch. There was trouble for the defenseman, but it's not only on the defenseman, as you say, Sad. It's the forwards got to do their work and win those battles. I just love that how clean that play was from Brock yep. Besser, right? You mentioned mm-hmm. how quick it was, but it wasn't a sloppy, hey, just get it in a direction. Yeah. It was on a stick, off his stick. Everything was pure and clean and, you know, I know we keep harping on it, but this is like what Rick Tockett wants to see. Even if you don't think it's a sexy play, this is what this coaching staff is trying to instill. This is how they believe this is going to lead to winning. So that's a quote-unquote non-negotiable for the staff. And so this is the players that that have to go execute that. And in that moment, hey, it creates this two-on-one. But those are the things that you're going to be looking at this year that these players have to do that cleanly and consistently. So we went through a lot of the positives, and you know, Elias Pettersson, of course, two scores the goal. Not necessarily negatives, but we're looking at roster battles, right? Before we let you go, two guys I want you to hit on: Niels Hoaglander, who moved down to Suter yep. uh, to the Suter and Garland line, and Cole McWard, who played alongside Quinn Hughes tonight. Yeah, Cole McWard had a, a tough one today, right? This we look at the minor penalties, and there's certain moments where you know he makes the right play, he but he. He did have a couple of those moments that we saw in his first five games last year. It was a little bit of deer in headlights when the, yeah. the pressure comes. And Edmonton, to their credit, they brought it. Um, the forwards weren't dropping as deep in that first period, so defensemen didn't have as much help. But it was certain moments a little sloppy. But when you look in the own zone, when he's defending, especially those one-on-one plays when the player's kind of going downhill, lowers the shoulder a little bit, mm-hmm. um, he struggled with that. Yeah. Wrapping the arm around, uh, engaging in battles where... Yes, there's intensity there, but you got to be very, very careful where your yeah. stick is. You have to be in control of your stick. There's a tripping penalty. So if you're going to get 18, potentially 19 minutes a game playing alongside Quinn Hughes on 5-on-5 five five especially because you're not going to get it yeah. uh, on the power play, you got to make sure that you're not putting your team in a tough position in your own end. And I think tonight was a, a steep learning curve for him. Uh, with Niels Hoaglander, when you play a lot more, um, maybe your role is defined with skilled players to say, okay, these guys, you make room for them, be aggressive. Right. I felt like I didn't really notice him too much until the third period when it was a comfortable lead. And that's not a, it's not a huge knock on him, uh, but like I, you know, if you're talking one of, one of those battles, are you going to get a player like a Dakota Joshua coming in saying, mm-hmm. hey, what? I can, I can make an impact more. Uh, are you going to notice him more? Are you going to bring that physicality, that north-south guy more consistently? I, I think Nic- Dakota Joshua is the guy that probably is going to benefit from that. I don't know where he sits in the, in the roster currently, right. but I think, yeah, yeah, both of those guys, to me, were 
you know, if you're looking at the battles, maybe maybe not the, the best of nights. 10 minutes and 14 seconds for Nils Hoaglander on the ice tonight. So not even a lot of opportunities no. to make an impression either. And you, you're trying to plot out, okay, who is he battling with now? Well, Phil DiGiuseppe one sealed that mm-hmm. one, right? Yeah. We, we said in the pregame, who's going to win a spot right. and close the door? Well, that one's closed. Yep. Okay. Beauvillier, to me, on the top line, nothing impressive. But, you know, I can even chalk it up yeah. to, hey, you didn't train with these guys during training camp. First game to work out some cobwebs, maybe gets another audition. But now it's not even as if, like, Hoaglander played 14 minutes and is battling evenly with Beauvillier on ice time. Uh, Beauvillier sitting at 1220, uh, 12.30. There's, you know, two minute, two and a half minute gap there. So, for me, it's... The door's kind of closing on that opportunity now. He's going to have to do something here if he plays the next two games. But it, it just, to your point, it just feels like he's not competing with Bovillier. He's competing with the Joshua. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, you know what? I'll give a thought on this on the other side. We're running, running up against the clock. Randy, great stuff calling the game alongside Brendan Batchelor. Oh, that's a tease. I'm going to be in my car waiting to listen to your thought now. Sachi. You better hurry down to the car because right. I can give you my uh, my thoughts on that play with Niels Hoaglander. All right, great stuff from Randy Janna. Canucks win 5-2 over the Edmonton Oilers on home ice. Their first win of the preseason. Get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. It's Satin Bick, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-6650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. That wing for Miller. Pass through the seam to Besser. Bottom of the right circle. Back to Patterson. High slot. Waits. Shoots. Scores! wrist shot from Elias Pedersen finds its way past Stuart Skinner into the top shelf and the Canucks lead 4-1 Canucks go on to win 5-2 defeating the Edmonton Oilers it's Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network get your thoughts in to our Dunbar Lumber Text inbox 650-650 we'll hit that coming up in just a moment's time and we are going to hear from head coach Rick Tockett as soon as that audio becomes available to us and we are going to get to the text inbox in just a moment and we will talk about Pedersen you heard the clip coming in and the power play about him getting his goal tonight a lot of time and then he picked his spot we'll discuss that and more however as I mentioned at the end of the previous segment, Niels Hoaglander. And Rick texted in and said, uh, this text says, I don't believe Hoags is losing that spot. I think Rick just wanted to give it another look in terms of Pavilion getting that look. And Pavilion, like you mentioned, Bick didn't play a ton either, so it's not like he did anything overly convincing, so we'll see what's kind of up for grabs here. And it is notable, too, that Hoaglander's not on the power play, so that affects his minutes. But even beyond that, Nobody had less five-on-five five ice time than Niels Hoaglander. So even by even if you take away the special teams, he was still the low-minute man by, by, of all Canucks players tonight. And I think that's always a notable thing. It sets up for the game in Abbotsford on the 4th for it to be a battle of between Joshua, Niels Hoaglander, whoever performs better, and if both perform well enough, you get a chance to play in that final preseason game. So that's kind of how I'm viewing how Hoaglander stacks up to play on opening night. You better play well in Abbotsford. And which of one of those guys, best man wins, gets a chance to play in that final preseason game. Yeah. 
that to me is the uh, remaining uh, camp battle. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the McWard one in a second because some text coming in. But uh, you know, I was I was just tracking. You know, um, I mentioned pregame. Yeah, uh, a battle between PDG and Hoaglander, right? If, if PDG is the incumbent, you got to beat that standard. And just defensive board wins and offensive retention and completing a, a successful pass. Uh, I didn't have PDG down for a single victory in the defensive board, but he also didn't have one for me. At least, look, a margin of error here. Right. Um, but Hoaglander got one correct and, and missed two. In the offensive zone, PDG with like seven completed passes and, and retains off the wall. Failed one. Uh, but Hoaglander, three for three. Um, sorry, three and three. Right. Um, it's kind of a mixed bag, right? Like, yeah, there's some moments, but there's also uh, opportunities that you're giving the opposition. So... Those are the things you're looking at. It's like, how consistently are you, are you doing those? Um, for me tonight, Oglander, not much. And he, so I just I just wonder, like, it feels like you're sliding down the lineup, and now where are you kind of winning in that spot? I actually like the second period a lot. I thought he was good on the fourth check. I thought he had some good moments. That's probably where he won most of his battles, mm-hmm. and he made some good passes it was, it was in the offensive zone. second period. Yeah. It was. He had a good pay. I'm like, you know what? Like, he's kind of doing the things you need him to do. The third kind of got away from it a little bit, and, I'm not, and, I, don't, and I don't want to blame him necessarily on... Um, the 5-2 goal Edmonton scored because it is Suter's man, Lavoie, that beats Suter and gets you know to the net for the cross-size pass to score. But on the back check, Hoaglander kind of, as soon as he gets to his man, he stops skating. And if he keeps skating, it's more about recognizing Suter's behind on the play, like his man's going to beat him. I got to make a beeline mm-hmm. towards the net. And I don't know if that wasn't a lazy play. It's more about a recognition play. And I don't know if I would hold that against him. It comes down to what the priorities are in terms of their transition defense from the coaching staff. So I wonder on that play, I saw a little bit on that play. I wondered, okay, is the coaching staff going to look at that and say those things happen? Or you got to make a beeline there. I mean, you see that guy's getting beat. you got to be aware of it. Make a beeline towards the net and to try to take away an odd man chance. And I'd say that kind of summed up his third period. But we'll see. I think that next preseason game in Abbotsford, it's a big one for Niels Hoaglander, big one for Dakota Joshua, as they try to jockey for position to make this roster. Now, uh, Bic, what else are the people What else are the people saying on the Dunbar Lumber text inbox? 650, 650. Uh, if PD learns to hit the net, he'll score 60 goals. Uh, this one, Ramsey and Langley. Uh, it's great to have hockey back. Back, uh, three things I wanted to mention for the postgame show. Uh, communication all over the ice. Defensive coverage by forwards while defenders are moving up. And even though they look scattered at times in their own zone, you can see them consistently relying on the structure and attempting to get back in position quickly. Uh, 650-650. Uh, Josh and Mission saying on Quinn, I didn't think it was possible. But somehow his skating looks even more explosive. And then this one. Uh, from Gurner, uh, who's going to be playing with Hughes? The rest made uh, McWard look bad tonight. Yeah, uh, quickly on the Hughes thing, you mentioned earlier that you noticed there's a bit more vertical explosiveness when it goes in a straight line, a bit more explosive, and that's maybe the one th- thing his skating was somewhat missing, and it was still good at it, but like in terms of like you want to compare him to Kill McCarr, McCarr has everything, plus like in a straight line he has an explosive burst, and I'm not saying Quinn's there, but there's a noticeable jump to that straight line burst in his game. Absolutely, and it just unlocks another dimension, right? It, it, when you're A-plus at the uh, turning ability and the agility, and also the timing and, yeah. and sense of space, how do you pair that with speed? And Quinn's better than... Uh, 
you know, so many of the players in the NHL. But if you ratchet that up a little bit more, it's, it's going to create so many more threats for himself and for the other guys on the ice. Do want to mention this as well while we're touching on the kind of the D pairings. Uh, Hussein from Coquitlam, as much as Tockett doesn't want to, McWard didn't look ready. He'll have to play one of Susie or Cole on their offside and play um, Hronick, Hughes, Cole, and Susie in the top four. Now, it's what we've discussed, like how does the minutes deployment, you'd very much expect those guys to be the top four anyways, but where are they placed on the lineup? Now, they did use Hughes and Roenick uh, coming off of a PK today, and then they kind of juggled it up when they had some leads. They tried different guys with different players. Yeah. Uh, but I I like that moment of, hey, situationally, can we get Hughes and Roenick together off of a PK and kind of retilt the ice? Absolutely. I think that's one of the things you're going to see more of, of them trying to experiment with some pairings. And I do agree, though. I don't think McWard is ready for it. Are they going to shelter him and try it until they find a better solution? You know, does Ethan, Ethan Bear, as soon as he gets healthy, come back? And But he's still a couple months away. Like, we're talking about even if you have somebody in mind in a couple of months, you still have to get to that standpoint. And we know how important the beginning of the season is. And I think it's asking a lot of Cole McCord. So I, w- I wouldn't be surprised for the final preseason game if we see somebody else play with Quinn Hughes. And do you just try Susie there again and see how that looks? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and somebody else texted in and said, uh, Graham and Langley, uh, Myers is playing better. Hate the thing was OEL that was a problem. And I think a couple of things. Perhaps maybe OEL struggled, but I wouldn't put it on him. They're playing such big roles in minutes. Now you're asking Tyler Myers to play third pair of minutes. You're asking him to play not in every situation, not every tough situation. And if you get him a partner that he can work with, I think it looks a lot easier. And him and Susie at moments looked fine, right? And they changed it up a little, a little bit here and there and, and had Cole with Myers for a bit, and that looked like it was okay. But Susie and Myers looked fine because you're playing him 17 minutes, 18 minutes. You're, you're not asking as much from Tyler Myers in that type of situation. But I think you have to also have the ability, Vic, to play one of these guys with Quinn. And I just wonder if you, you put Susie there with Quinn and you take McCord out of the lineup and maybe give Breezeball somebody a line. So we talk about Hoaglander and Joshua. I think the next preseason game, too, is pretty big for one of those defenders. Does a Breezeball, does a Willannon, does Irwin. a Juleson, Irwin, do we see one of those guys play well enough to get that chance in the final game? That's the other one to me as we're going back to our pregame chat. Uh, is anyone winning that battle? Uh, for me, it's Irwin probably came in as the established one. And just based on experience, uh, he's probably going to win it on that. But, yeah, for me, it's I, I don't know if we're going to see enough here in just one or two games here by any of those players because it's going to be a reduced lineup on Wednesday. Uh, is there any opportunity to really showcase uh, what you can do? Um, and then you get to the final uh, preseason game. You know, that to me, it's... Laying on the line on that one game to still kind of constantly go evaluating. At that point, I want to kind of see it start working on the chemistry between some guys. Um, I I just don't know if we have a short-term solution uh, for the partner with Quinn Hughes, if it's not going to be Susie or Cole. Yeah, no, I'm there with you on that one. Keaton says, feels like the Hughes partner audition audition is over. No, not going to start playing with a new partner in the final two preseason games, right? Now I don't think we see Quinn play. I mean, we'll see. I don't think he's going to play in Abbotsford. But I wouldn't be surprised if they try somebody else. I mean, were, were we convinced by McWard? That's what I kind of go back to, right? And that's why I think we'll see when that if, if, if that actually does happen. And I want to be really cl- clear. Like, I, I do think there's something there with Cole McWard, but it, it's okay to say, hey, this is going to be an AHL season. You have to work your way up. It, 
it's not a bad outcome. For for me to to go from NC two A to go play with Queen Hughes is a huge, huge leap. Step. Huge right? step. We're, we're talking about a twenty two year old player who look there could be something there. Yeah. So go work on it in the AHL. I did like when the when the puck started to move out. I think he, I think he's got good instincts at, and timing to join the rush. But like you can't build your game off of that right now on that pairing. You know, Queen Hughes is going to dominate the puck and dominate the offensive opportunities. So you have to be aware of where you can win, and it's going to be not a strictly defensive minded person, but someone that you know that's part of their game. And there were moments tonight when like when you're out of position or you're, you're, you're just a tick behind the play, you're going to put your stick in and, and yeah. take a tripping penalty. You're going to take a holding penalty. So right now, considering how much Queen Hughes is going to be on the ice, you can't have someone there that's going to be taking penalties. No, absolutely. Josh in Mission says, aside from penalties, I actually didn't think McCord was that bad. Heads up player, maybe getting used to opponents with NHL strength. I don't think he was that bad. Better preseason than Juleson. And that's the thing. I mean, I don't disagree he's been better than those guys, but it goes back to something else we've talked about before. If your stated goal is not rushing guys into the NHL, letting them play and develop, and you're already giving a guy a spot, but based on default, you're going against what you're hoping to do in terms of development for these players. Now, Peter mentions, so all we, we all know that Quinn Hughes is a talented player. He reached 200 assists faster than any other D-man in NHL history. But I've always felt he was too unselfish, hesitant to be a limelight guy. Tonight, after his second goal, I saw him play with new swag, a new broad, borderline cockiness that I've been waiting for, a new level of wanting the puck eagerness and keeping it when he had it. And I think Peter makes a good point about that. And it is preseason. He does look a lot more determined, I would say, you right? Know, I would call it self-assured. Yeah, I, that's a good way of putting it. Because I, I do think, and, and look, this is what I've been waiting for. We talked about seasons ago yeah. when some very prominent members of the locker room moved on. Markstrom, Tanev, Stetcher, so on. And at some point, you have to allow the space for these guys to get here. And I, I do think there's a, a certain confidence, like internal confidence. Not like, hey, I, I'm very good on the ice. I just mean as a human being. There's a self-assuredness to yes. right now. And how that translates to the ice, uh, very perceptive there by Peter. And, and it's going to be interesting to see. And does it matter who plays with him when he plays like that? I think that's the other question, too. Maybe you feel like you can insulate whoever you put with him and feel pretty good about it for the time being. Uh, this one says, you mentioned Bear. Are you hearing he's likely to come back when healthy? I've heard that that's a possibility. Ian McIntyre today on the panel on Sportsnet that we did mentioned that the Canucks are still talking to him and he thinks it's very much possible as well that when he is healthy that he does sign with the team but we'll see what happens it's still a few months away before that he's still recovering so it's not immediate help and we'll see if that does ultimately come to pass for the team um, before we get to the head coach Rick Tockett we mentioned Elias Pettersson scored the goal on the power play and he found himself in a spot doing two things we've been talking about more one is get movement. Don't just stay on the half wall waiting for the one-timer. And when you get the puck, don't be afraid of taking guys on and shooting it. And at the very least, getting your wrist shot off more. To the point you made a bit earlier, though, Bick, this was the preseason, and I would imagine in the regular season, the forward would, would close out on Pedersen a lot more instead of just giving him that much. I mean, he had like four seconds to size up and pick a spot and shoot the puck. But I think it was instructive to see him, one, take the shot and obviously have the accuracy he displays, but the movement he had to get to that point, too. I wonder if him scoring gives him the like the positive feedback of, you know what, I should try this more often. Yes. Because I'm dying to see selfish PD sometimes. Because he is such a accurate shooter, he is such a 
Uh, I know some people are probably screaming at the radio. It's like, his one-timer always misses. I mean the wrist shot, okay? Yes. The wrist shot is what I'm talking about. And if he starts shooting more, he can break 45 goals. He can, I think he can get 50. He's got that level of talent. And if you just go by his per-game numbers, um, his, his shots spiked last year. But I think there's another level to still go here. It was sitting at... Um, 3.21 shots on goal last year. I, I think if he can get to 3.5 and really start to shoot more often, uh, that to me is is the big marker. If you just go by uh, his overall attempts uh, on net, it, it, it's about six. I, I want to see him get to seven, eight. And if that starts happening, like who 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 do you trust more on this team to get a goal? Elias Pettersson yeah, off, so, off his shot. There's nobody else. I mean, you can make a case for Kuzmenko with how he scored. But it's, but not, it's, it's not always Kuzmenko engineering it for himself. Precisely. So if Pettersson is willing to be a little bit more selfish, I, I guarantee you there's 17 other guys that are like, hey, Petey, go ahead and shoot. They're not going to be complaining if he's going to put up 45. Uh, but it's that type of play that I wonder if he's like, hey, it went in. I should try this more often. Well, I mean, he should, obviously. But it goes as it, there is a, like a... Um, a synergy here between being selfish for Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson. Both guys could stand to be bigger leaders. One's a captain now. One's going to be wearing an A. But it's not just about leading in terms of you know being a leader in that sense. It's about leading in terms of putting a team on your back, saying, I'm the one who's going to create. I'm the one who's going to force the issue. I'm the one who's going to create and, and make sure that we have an opportunity to score here. And It's only preseason, but you're seeing some positives here from the two-star players that you hope obviously keeps growing and getting better uh, heading into the season. Keep your thoughts coming into the text inbox. We'll hit, hit a couple more before we get out of here. We mentioned the head coach. Here is Rick Tockett meeting with the media after a 5-2 win over the Oilers. Rick, what was the message to the group after the first period, and how did you like the way they responded the rest of the way? Oh, well, we said four, uh, four power, they had four power plays, so it's hard to... Uh, they, you know, the, you, can't, you can't take those power plays, give them power plays, so you're killing most of the period. Um, wasn't that bad, and then obviously the second and third we started to skate more, you know, with the puck. I think sometimes we're gliding when you had the puck, and when you skate, you open up those options. Did you like the looks your power play got tonight? Yeah, some good. Like I like the shooting. You know, there's some good movement, but we we were ripping some pucks, which is good. I like a you know that shoot mentality. Seems like Quinn is being more aggressive in terms of jumping up. In the offensive zone, creating offense, obviously he gets rewarded by scoring a couple tonight. How important is that going to be for him going forward to be a, a catalyst of the offense? Yeah, he worked on his game, um, some offensive sets when he comes down. Like uh, he, he can tell that uh, there's some stuff that he's done. The, there's a couple of other options that he has coming downhill. You know, um, he worked on a lot this summer. I talked to him all summer, but he wanted to be able to fake and then obviously get to a shooting position and shoot it. You know, even the backhand was it was great. DJ Giuseppe going to the net, which was uh, which was was great to see too. You mentioned DJ Giuseppe. How pleased have you been with him through camp? Obviously you liked the way he played for you last year and he seems to be picking up where he left off. Yeah, I mean he's north south goes to the net, um, low maintenance guy, big guy. How can you not love a guy like that? So and uh, <clears throat> you know you can, you know, I know he's 29 years old, but you can, I've seen a lot of guys start play well at 29, you know, and continue to play. So yeah, I, you know, you know, you got, you know, guys, I like him a lot, love him. A lot. He's a, he's just a pleasure to coach. Yep. 
Uh, I know it's only exhibition game four yeah. or whatever three, but how good it was to see your team score some goals tonight after the first three? Yeah, games? I liked after we didn't score. It was a, yeah after the first. Uh, I didn't want the guys to get tight, um, but we missed about even though we ki- killed those four power plays in the first, we missed about five or four or five shots. We're trying to be a little too perfect. I like the fact that we hit, got to hit the net, but we got to get traffic. You know, we can't just have a couple of guys. We need more guys going to the net. I felt we could, we had some shots, but we had some guys kind of, you know, not being net front. So we got that's got to be habitual to our team where we get people to the net. How'd you feel about both special teams units tonight? Felt like both had a pretty productive night and got a lot of action as well. Who's that? Are both of them? Uh, special teams? Both of them? Yeah, right, I guess. yeah. I like the the way the penalty kills have been the last couple of days. The games uh, worked on some stuff. Obviously, uh, acquiring Teddy, you know, it's really helped. Uh, there's some. Chemistry of the ROMs, you know, we kind of have three good, you know, three or maybe even seven guys that can kill penalties. Uh, that really helps. And, you know, we got some guys back, Sush and Kohler, that will, that will block shots. So that, that adds to the penalty kill. Did see the um, Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronic went out a couple times after killing off yeah. a penalty. Is that by design to just provide a boost, or what are your thoughts? No, the, 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 you know, it'll be a committee thing. Uh, you know, there's going to be some times during the game we'll probably put them together. You know, it's a. Uh, it's something that uh, we've talked about. There's so few of these games for guys to audition. The fact that you've given Cole McWard two games with Hughes, that seems pretty significant. Can you just say where where is he, you know, your assessment, and could he actually yeah. pl- make this team for the start of the year? Well, I mean, he's, he's obviously given us some options because, um, you know, he's not a young guy. He's, I mean, he's young, but he's not 19. He's 22, 22. Is he 22? I think he's 22, but uh mature guy. Um, there's been guys, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't know if he's going to make the team or not, but there's guys that have come out of college at 22 and have done well in the NHL. So you know, maybe he can be that guy. But it it is nice that, uh, you know, he can sling that puck to Husey a lot, which is uh, what she was trying to do. You know, he had a couple of penalties, a poor guy. I don't know if the third one was a little tough one, but, uh, you know, I didn't think he batted an eye after that. And a couple of five-on-threes tonight obviously helped the power play, but is it making progress? Is it starting to look the way that you want it to look as far as the movement? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, we're playing – I think the first four, four or five teams play the same kind of penalty kill, uh, not a diamond. So we were more in our, in our um, the regular set today. But we still got to make sure we have somebody in front of the net. I, I think that's something that we got to make sure. Whatever we do um, – we have to have people in front of the net at, at, at some point. So we, we, that, that's a fluid thing for us. I was going to ask you about that. You have guys standing to the side of the net yeah. and to the side of the goalie. You want them right in front of the goalie. Yeah, well, uh, the goal in Edmonton when Husey scored, uh, Skinner didn't see it because, you know, Garland was in front. I mean, we need those type of goals, you know, uh, uh, those type of power play goals. You can't always skill your way or, you know, um, pass it in the net. You have to have those old, good old-fashioned shot. Somebody in front. Uh, the other stuff will open up. So, uh, but we'll work on that. We'll get. We we got to get some people to get in front. Uh, you talked about facing a lot of diamond PKs. You yeah. guys are obviously playing a diamond PK, which is a bit of a switch from last season, where it was more of a wedge plus yeah. one kind of. Is is it a matter of kind of simplifying the PK? Is it a more simple structure to play? Um, yeah. I, I, when I when I was in Arizona, we had a different PK, but the, the, the diamonds intrigues me a little bit. But we're, I think we're a little bit more of a hybrid. We're not actually a total diamond, but it seems like a diamond. But we we 
we don't leave the middle open, you know, too much. But we've got a lot more aggressiveness, which I like. We got some guys that, like I said, block shots. Uh, but there is some system stuff that we're doing. But I think you know some personnel has helped too. You know, uh, you know I know it's exhibition, but it's nice to see that uh, last two games it's working what we're doing. But, but uh, you know, it's exhibition. We got to continue it. And on the power play, uh, you got a goal from Kuzmenko in the bumper. Um, he's been more of a net yeah. front, finishing around the net kind of guy. Is he someone that you could see playing in that bumper in the slot where Horvat used to play? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, his shot's dangerous, you know. And uh, even even if something's around that slot, you know, he's got that release. You know, it doesn't even have to be a perfect setup. So having that kind of – he's an elite talent when it comes to his shot, so why not have him in there – but sometimes he might be on the right side, and we'll have Millsy. In the, like you know, we we got to move people around. Like, like I said to you, Edmonton's the the benchmark, right? They got the unreal power play, and, and I know it McDavid's all world, but he's everywhere, and so is Drysdale. So we have some really good hockey players that can play other positions. I think you've had Cole and Heronic together pretty consistently throughout camp in the preseason. To this point, you went away from that during the game. You had Susie with Heronic, Cole with Myers. What did you think of the the change in the pairings? And I know preseasons for experimenting, so you're getting a look at all of these things. But what did you think of? Yeah, that? we just you know, funny came up the he wanted to make the switch, and um, you know, I thought it was a great switch. I think uh, for some reason early on, you know. I don't know. We just felt like it was a good switch to settle the guys down, and it did. And uh, we're not afraid to uh, switch part pairs in games. We did it last year. And um, when you have team uh, players and defensemen that can do that, you know that are you know that can play with different guys in house in house games. I, um, I think that's or I think that's big. So we're going to do that a little bit more often. I think if it happens. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 5-2 win in the preseason over the Edmonton Oilers here at Rogers Arena. And uh, a lot of praise for a number of players, no more than Fieldy Giuseppe, of course. He says he loves him, a pleasure to coach him, a huge fan of the way he played and, and the impact he had. Three goal, I mean, three points, one goal, two assists, getting in front of the net, working hard along the boards. What else can you say about, about him? And, and overall, it seemed that the head coach was pretty pleased with what he saw from his home team. Get someone to talk to you about, about uh, the way uh, way Rick Tockett talks about Phil DiGiuseppe, man. It's like it's like Riccio and DiGiuseppe looking at each other at training camp. You got to see love in their I eyes. I think the real camp battle is Tockett versus Riccio. It could be. That, Who like, loves DPDG more? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real camp battle that we got to focus on. Uh, yeah, it, it, like. I still kind of felt like that was a bit of a subdued uh, Rick Tockett. It's like, hey, it's like it's pretty season. Well, he didn't love the first period. Yeah, you know, it was pretty clear. But uh, you know, he was he was happy. What? Yeah, it's preseason. You don't yeah. want to set the set the bar too lo- you know too low. But he was he was happy. He sounded happy mm-hmm. with you know how the game unfolded, obviously, and how they did certain things. But uh, clearly. The goal is much more than winning a preseason game, your first one here, 5-2. And, you know, he had some good things to say about Cole McCord, but it's also clear that I don't think anything's been set in stone quite yet. No. And, you know, just talking at the end about the, the, the rotation there. Again, that for me is going to be the focus here for these last two games. Yeah, there's the forward battle, but for me, it's a depth forward battle. Who's going to be playing with Quinn Hughes is a major thing to discuss uh, these next two games. And... Look, there's the, the, there's candidates there, and as you mentioned in the pregame show, what happens over the next handful of days here as waivers yeah. uh, start to populate? Is there a guy that goes on there 
that maybe they go to take a look at. Because right now, they might be able to find something because uh, the bar isn't overly high. Well, and we got this text here saying, awesome show, guys. Could you could the Canucks pick up Lassie Thompson off the waiver wire? Um, I'd love to hear what you guys have to think. And he's a guy that in the 2019 draft, we spoke about a lot because the Canucks were looking at mm-hmm. you know different things and, and obviously defensemen being uh, part of the equation for what they would want to add. And he was a guy that was interesting, but obviously a bit later in the draft that year. But I, I'd say... He's the type of player, I'm not sure if he lines up with how they want somebody to play defensively a little bit, mm-hmm. with some of the issues that he's had in his game. But it wouldn't shock me at all that they pick up a righty defenseman on the waiver wire or something, make a minor deal here. I mean, I think those things are very much a possibility. Uh, there's been one guy picked up today, Ty Emerson, who's a right-handed defenseman from the Rangers organization. The Sharks cleaned him off waivers. Jordan Gross, the Nashville player, righty defenseman, he's on waivers as well. So there are some possibilities. It comes down to the pro scouts viewing those guys as being better options than what they currently have. And I mean, I'd say there's probably going to be somebody who's a better option. The question is, how does that all line up? Yeah. The, the Thompson one, as you mentioned, just maybe a bit more offensive. Uh, then you probably want someone with Quinn Hughes. Um, oh, I got, I got no problem putting the claim in, but I'm, I'm not sure if that's the profile you're trying to chase. Um, the thing is, it's like I wouldn't mind just more right-handed bodies just in general, right? Because it, it drops off real fast. It goes from Philip Ronick to Tyler Myers. Then you're looking at the Juleson McWard. It, it, it just, it, if they can get a couple more bodies in there, uh, certainly uh, helps out. But right now, um, can you mention that one name, uh, Emerson? That one passes you by, obviously, because yeah. you, you weren't in, in, in the waiver order. But what other names pop up here? Uh Basically, every right-hand D is, is going to be an interesting... Be like, Somebody oh, to look at, yeah. Yeah, it, it, I, I think every name that pops up, you're going to have to kind of say, okay, does this work? Yeah, or is it better than what we currently mm-hmm. have at the very least? Uh, let's hit some text here before we get out. A lot of good reaction. Matt in Toronto, after watching the scrum at the end of the game, how do you cats feel about the Canucks' toughness? I mean, they were willing and everything... Uh, I do think the team could add a bit more toughness, especially up front, a bit more size, a bit more um, you know, physicality and aggressiveness. I wouldn't mind seeing that. It's just very hard to find those players that can actually take a regular shift. And we know based on how they want to use their lines, they don't want to have somebody who's just a tough guy playing 70, 70 minutes. They want someone who can take a regular shift, play 12, 13 minutes a game potentially. And that's very hard to find. And I'm not sure that's something they're going to be able to address right away, maybe as the season goes on. That's why Dakota Joshua, for all the you know issues in terms of not coming to camp in the shape that he needed to be in, he's still somebody this team does need in terms of the impact he can provide with his physicality. Yeah, absolutely. And like you just saw the cost of doing businesses with, with those guys. Um, like Marcus Foligno got $16 million yesterday for a, a, a rugged, very capable to defend his teammates kind of guy uh, a very you know interesting player to fill those needs but those guys aren't uh, available overly much uh and if they're on waivers are they capable of sustaining two-way play like that's the thing um at his best dakota joshua to me can get to a baseline you saw the offensive ability I think there's more there on a more yeah. stable environment. Uh, I know some of the underlying numbers don't look fantastic for uh, Dakota Joshua, but prior to arriving in Vancouver, the expected goals number looked very interesting. So I'm, I'm willing to see another season of Dakota Joshua, but he does kind of need a running mate uh, in that regard of, of someone who can play big and also uh, feature in, in a 
play-carrying mode, or at least be a secondary member of, of a, a line that can drive play. Actually fulfill an on-ice role yeah. outside of physicality that the coach can rely on. Uh, jokes for 60, we get one in here. So another good camp by PDG, he will get waived tomorrow. As we remember a couple of years ago, we had a good don't camp to get waived. Like I don't think that's happening. It's a joke, but it's not, it's not going to happen. We'll, we'll take the jokes. Uh, a couple more texts here. This one says, if Quinn Hughes was to score 15 or more goals, it finishes with over 80 points. In your opinion, do you feel like it should be time for him to be a top three Norris finalist? If he scores 15, has 80 points, and this team is a playoff team... He should be on Norris fine. I mean, we'll see what else has to happen. Obviously, there's a lot of good defensemen. But if he hits the markers, the texture mentioned, I'd say he has a very good shot of being a top three finalist. Uh, I'm just looking at it here. Of all the D-men that have put up uh, an 80-point season uh, since 2005, uh, Carlson, Hedman, Yossi, Makar, Burns, Carlson, Lidstrom either won the Norris or finish second or third. So there you go. That's a safe one to assume. It, it is a good one. Uh, Keith from Poco. I hope Vasily put calls in play. Put calls in plays in Abbotsford so I can scream Vasily from the top of my lungs. <laughs> and I mentioned, you know, maybe it's unlikely Hughes plays. And he mentioned how he got tickets and on the ticket, the email Hughes was pictured. So we hope he plays in, in Abbotsford. We don't know what the lineup's going to be. I just don't expect it to be a full lineup to go to Abbotsford, considering they want Game Six to be the next to final mm-hmm. dress rehearsal here. So I'm not sure we'll see everybody, but I'm sure we'll see some of these players absolutely any more text you want to read here Bick? uh didn't it seem brock just looked fast out there do you guys think he will be a 30 goal scorer um i don't know if i noticed the speed i know some people have been saying he does look a bit faster this preseason you know i you know what i think i think he's moving his feet more yeah okay yeah, I, don't I don't know if he's, he's faster, but yeah. he's moving his feet better and more. I think yeah. there, a lot of times last year he was kind of like stationary and he was kind of slow to get going. And he was kind of, you know, I wouldn't say floating necessarily, maybe sometimes. But he's he's moving his feet every time he's on the ice. And maybe that's what yeah. makes him look quicker. And look, he got four assists tonight. The one was, I, I, like, the first assist to me was the best one. Uh, but, again, Brock is really good at recycling possession when he's on his game. So if, if he gets a couple of easy assists, it's because, well, you're, do, you're doing the right things. You're getting to the right spots, and, and he can move the puck in the offensive zone. Uh, so uh, an encouraging home game for Rock Besser. Yeah, and somebody asked us about Demko and the team play. We mentioned team play. Not great in the first period, but they weren't giving up a ton of chances. Got better on the forecheck in the second. Generated more offense, more sustained pressure. Their breakouts were a lot cleaner. It, it was 14 shots in the first period, but I didn't think it was uh, indicative of the actual play. It was mostly on the outside, and a yeah. lot of it was on the power play, too. Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Have fun. Fill your boots if you want to shoot from the outside. Yeah, especially with Thatcher Demko, who I thought had a solid game, yeah. allowed a couple of goals, but he played very strong. But a solid game from the Canucks overall. Um, but the head coach liked it, didn't love it. There's still more to do, and that's how you should be able to set the bar higher and higher and higher. All right. Uh, appreciate every single thought coming into our text message inbox, 650, 650, courtesy of Dunbar Lumber. We'll be back to full two-hour post-game shows once the regular season begins. We made sure to go a little bit extra because the game ended a little bit later than usual. Thanks to all of you for listening and tuning in and being part of the show. We can't wait to be back on the airwaves again on Monday morning, starting with Halford and Brough and Bick. You're back on the People Show as well. Absolutely. Tune in. Uh, week, week four recap and on Canucks Talk as well. Oh, for sure. And I'm back at Canucks Central on Monday. Myself and Dan Riccio will be back with much more when it comes to this game and looking ahead to the regular season. Plus, we'll be previewing Seahawks Monday Nighter. Oh, there we go. That's also coming up. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to Lena producing the show here at the 
Rink, thanks to Fast Eddie Gregory back at the radio station. And thank you all for listening and being part of the show. This has been the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your assist. Oh, home of your assist. Home of your Canucks. I just read a text on Someone said, please explain what, what an easy assist is. The easy assist is when you just essentially make an easy pass to somebody and somebody make the else does all the work. Let's, yeah. let's say you're standing two feet from somebody and you just kind of knock the puck over to them. And they yeah. take it from, say... Um, their own end and skate through five yeah. people and score, that's an easy assist. That would be the, the definition of an easy assist. When somebody else does most of the work after you make a very simple pass to them. When you tap into Elias Pettersson and he's got all the time in the world to get a shot off? Yeah. There yeah. you go. It's made but again, hey, you got to move the puck. Exactly. Well, answer the question in the sign-off as well. All right. Thanks to all of you. Appreciate it. Have a great night here on Sportsnet 650.